Welcome to episode 77 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy features conversations in Canadian theatre with artists of all stripes, from actors to director to playwright and more. If you want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at stageworthypodcast.com. If you like the podcast, I hope you'll consider leaving a comment or rating on Apple Podcasts or Google Music or wherever you get your podcasts. My guest, Scott Dermody, is a co-founder and core member of Soup Can Theatre and the Dora Awards and Outreach Manager for the Toronto Alliance of the Performing Arts. Your position at, at Tapa, you're primarily focused on the Doras. Is that? Do you have a specific focus, or do you, are you more of a jack of all trades? It's kind of a split position. So uh, technically, I'm the Door Awards and Outreach Manager. Uh, so a lot of my time around this time of the year is Dora focused mm-hmm. strictly, but uh, throughout the year, it's all the ongoing Dora administration, but also uh, our outreach programs. Mm-hmm. So I also manage the HipTix uh, student discount program, as well as the city special program. Um, that position didn't used to exist, the combo of the two. It's just because I, I was the outreach manager part-time, and then the existing Dora manager left, and we were able to amalgamate the two positions mm-hmm. into a full-time position. The, the Dora, is there really a Dora season, or is it is it kind yes. of like just sort of like... Uh, when would a show have to open to be in contention for, for a Dora? Like, for sure, yeah. There's absolutely uh, an official Dora season, okay. uh, which uh, is actually, we're right on the threshold now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so technically by the, the rules in the eligibility handbook, uh, May 15th is the flip-over period, okay. uh, depending on when it falls in the calendar year. So as it stands, a production has to have at least 60% of its total run plus the minimum number of performances uh, for eligibility in the division uh, prior to May 15th in order to be part of that current door year. Um, if it has less than either of those, then it flips over into the next one. Yeah. So there's a bit of a crossover period where Doragers from both seasons are actually going to see shows. That's confusing. It can be, but, uh, it, you know, it... It works moderately well, I think. <laughs> uh, well, before we get into like how it works, just, sure. just for everybody, I actually would like to, to ask you a bit about um, your theater background. How does where do you come from in terms of theater, and uh, how did you end up uh, working uh, for Tapa? Sure. So I am primarily trained as an actor. Um, I went to school for it. I went to Queen's University, and then uh, when I graduated and moved to Toronto. Uh, you know, I started doing the audition circuit and got an agent and started doing commercial stuff. And I really hated, this is just my own personal thing, I really hated the, the, the whole film and television, um, uh, I don't know what to call it exactly, but it felt like a production line, you know, and I yeah, didn't, yeah, I didn't yeah. like that. <laughs> so I wanted to find a way to, to be able to support a, a theater-based career mm-hmm. primarily. Uh, and I figured the way to do that was through administration or, or box office work. Um, I'd originally got involved, actually, because I was, I was simply looking for a job in the industry. And I uh, applied as a ticket seller at the TO Tix booth, which unfortunately is now mm-hmm. no longer a thing. 
uh, closed last year. But uh, yeah, after doing a whole bunch of other odd jobs and Joe jobs and things like that, I applied there, worked there for a year, and then uh, was recommended for the outreach manager position here. Um, worked as that for, I guess, about a year and a half. And then the door manager at the time um, stepped down, and uh, as both positions were part-time, uh, I talked to the executive director, and we created a full-time position uh, as a result. Nice. Um, when did you, before we get into like all the tapas stuff, mm-hmm. I'm a little more curious about <clears throat> the what, what sort of like drew you to theater as a, as, a, as a youth? What was it that made you love it? What was it that made you decide that that's what you were going to go to school for? Yeah. So I was originally going to go into architecture. (laughs) So I was taking all these math and science courses. And um, while I still feel that architecture and and engineering is a fascinating field, I still enjoy observing it. Um, You know, it was was basically my high school drama teacher, I think, that that turned everything Hmm. towards performing arts for me. How did that happen? Uh, You know, I think it was the fact that it was... It was something so different, and I went to a, a Catholic high school, so you know there were a lot of things that perhaps in public high schools you could do in public high schools that you generally can't do in, in Catholic high schools. But the the teacher that I had was very adamant about pushing those boundaries mm-hmm. about you know certain subject matter that uh, is kind of taboo in the mm-hmm. in the Catholic uh, world. Um, I think that that was a big part of it, mm. that, that she was challenging me as an individual to, to expand my horizons, I suppose, mm. broaden the world view, as it were. But uh, how, how, I mean, as somebody who was like looking at like uh, an architectural career, how did, uh, and I'm sure that your parents were also looking forward to you, seeing you in an architectural <laughs> career, how did, how did they uh, sort of take the news that you yeah. were making a major change? You know what, they weren't too bad about it. They were kind of like, but what are you going to do for money? <laughs> I was like, we get it. Okay, you love this thing, but you better have a backup plan. <laughs> that age-old question. Yeah. So they were very supportive overall. Um, cautiously supportive because they're both, my parents are both um, accountants. So, you know, they come from a very practical uh, standpoint on things. But um, it... Uh, I don't know. It uh, it just seemed to work, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's the important thing is that, is that, is that it works. Yeah. There's, you know, I've been speaking. Everybody has sort of like different varying levels of, of parental support when they sure. make that choice. <clears throat> um, I think it'd be really hard to do without. Oh, it is. You basically have to like just sort of put up with nagging for the yeah. rest of your life. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I was talking to someone just a couple of weeks ago who was like, yeah, my mom still asks when I'm going to... Get a real job, get a real right? Job. Yeah. I'm going to give up this thing. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah. No, they, thankfully, I, I do owe them a lot of thanks because they, they were supportive. Again, cautiously, but supportive. And uh, uh, they did say, it's like, okay, if you're going to do this, you, you better be really good at something in it. Yeah. You know, you, you better distinguish yourself somehow. And... Did you when when they said that? Did you have any idea what that was going to be? Did you? Nope. Did you have, <laughs> no, I mean, I, when you're a high school student, right? You're like, okay, that that means yeah. I'm going to get all the good roles. Right. I'm going to play Hamlet yeah. all the time, and yeah. blah blah blah. Uh, 
I mean, you never think about it in high school whether whether you, there's administrative positions available that will actually help sustain your career as an artist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I mean in, in high school, if you'd ask me when I was in high school, what is it? Well, you know, I'm going to be doing theater and movies, and right. I'll be living in some fancy mansion. Of course, so, like that was that was obviously what's going to happen for me. For sure, you know, I think we all have those sorts of illusions when we're when we're in high school trying to decide because nobody up to that point has really given us any idea of like. What is a career in the theater look like? It's true. And you know what? The arts are always the first, well, one of the first programs to be hit when there are any kind of cuts. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> you know, the drama classes, dance classes, music classes, they always get the acts first. Um, yeah. And, uh, I mean, we see the results of that where the, the theater-going public uh, for a long time has been dwindling. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly as new technologies emerge. But um, the good news story is that it's starting to turn around again. The audiences are starting to come back again. Do you, do you, I mean, we're, we're going to jump around, just to, just to warn For you. Sure. We're going to jump around a bit. Um, do you, are there numeric numbers that you're seeing that, that sort of show that those audiences are, that the audiences are getting younger and coming back? So, it's not, well, to a certain extent. I mean, the... TAPA just released uh, the TAPA Stats Report Phase 4. Mm-hmm. Um, that was at the uh, Arts Advocacy Day at uh, City Hall last November. And uh, <clears throat> while I can't quote stats right now, just because I didn't think to bring that report in with it. me, um, though the previous three incarnations of the stats report had all indicated that there was a major decline in ticket sales across mm-hmm. the board, and the audiences were, were leaving, and, and part of TAPA's mandate for a long time, and still is, was to help turn that around and to help uh, you know bring audience development tools to the fore and marketing tools and, and that type of thing. And um, I don't know whether it's <clears throat> through our work or, or through just the fact that we're through that massive recession or, or whatever, but the stats are proving that the ticket sales have turned around. Not a lot, but they're on an upward trend as opposed to <laughs> the downward trend that they've been on for a decade or more. Well, that, that, is, that is definitely good news. Yeah. You, I mean... I think one of the one of the, the, the aspects in the theater world that sort of like encourages people to go to the theater sometimes is whatever's happening on Broadway or right. sometimes in London. Sure. And if there are shows that are massive there, there is sort of a trickle down as people sort of see it and, and things like that. I think. Sure, and you know if those shows get a big enough profile and then come to Toronto, that always helps, of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah. I can't think of a show that's come to Toronto that's got such a Hamilton. Obviously, sure, Hamilton. I mean, Warhorse when it came yes, was uh, yeah. it was a big hit, uh, and things like that that come through. Yeah. Unfortunately, the, the the number of sit down shows that stay for a long time is just a thing of the past these days. Well, that's the sort of the sad <laughs> thing because you know I was in theater school in the age of Phantom of the Opera, yeah. and, like, <laughs> and these shows, and you know we all thought this is how it's going to be forever. Yeah, these shows will sit down and you know run for ten years or more, <laughs> and you know now I think a six month run. Is, is, You're laughing if you get yeah, a six months run. <laughs> um, when you moved over, when you sort of like started doing the administrative thing, um, did you find that a difficult transition? Did, did you go through any kind of period? Definitely. Of, uh, yes, it, it's. I mean, it's it's a different approach to mm-hmm. to the work, obviously. Uh, although I guess it was tempered by the fact that I'd already I'd, I'd begun producing work uh, in university. Through I, I don't even know how that happened. It was just through a series of odd coincidences. But um, because I, I had had some of that producing background and working more with 
suppose spreadsheets and <laughs> numbers and contracts and things, um, it wasn't as much of a shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I suppose the place that it really is obvious and apparent for me is my body. <laughs> the, the desk job aspect is like, okay, you know, three days a week in theater school, mm-hmm. I'd be having like a three-hour intensive yeah. movement class. And now I'm here uh, sitting at a desk for the bulk of the time, which is fine. It's just, it's very different. It's it a is very different. It's too. amazing how quickly that, uh, <laughs> all of those, those, those movement class uh, <laughs> uh, exercises go out the window as soon as you're sitting at a desk for a while. It's true. It's true. I try to keep a foot in that, but it, it can be tough. We all, we all, I think any of us who've, who've like worked at a desk job for any period of time, all yeah. try to, but there's something about sitting that does... <laughs> Unfortunate things to the lower part of one's True story. torso. True story. Um, as a, as outreach, mm. what what kind of what does uh, the outreach manager at Tapa do? A couple different things. Uh, <clears throat> so the two programs are the Hiptics program and the City Special program. Now, the Hiptics is very much the public side of it. City Special, not so much. City Special is very much a, a subscriber base. Um, so I'll start with Hiptics. Uh, Hiptics is $5 tickets for students between the ages of 14 and 29 to go see theater, dance, and opera without that prohibitive burden of the, the ticket price. Um, you know, the average theater ticket price in, in Toronto is anywhere from 20 to 30 to $40, depending on what company you're going to. And uh, a big part of, of promoting that program is going into schools, talking to high school and university students about it, what shows are available, and helping to promote the community in that way. But if we're given enough time by the teacher in the classroom, you know, we, we give that typical pitch of, here are the shows, here's a great opportunity for you to go see these things. But then you also get into a conversation about why, and why is it important to go see something that's live? Why is theater relevant today yeah. in a digital age? What about it? It excites us as individuals, and then what excites them? What do they want to see on stage? And especially if we're talking to drama classes, you know, sometimes they're just there for an arts credit, yeah. which is fair. But uh, to legitimize the fact that you can make a career out of this. Mm-hmm. It's a patchwork career, sure, but it, to have someone from the outside, aside from the teacher, saying, yes, this is the thing that you can do. You might not make millions of dollars, mm-hmm. but you can certainly put food on your table yeah. and uh, make a living at it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's trying to get rid of some of those preconceptions that... Mm-hmm. It may have been built up by their their peers or by their uh, parents or anything like that, um, and perhaps open it up a little to them. And then, uh, so that's that's primarily what we do with Hiptics is is going to schools. Uh, City Special is something a bit different, where it's primarily a ticketing program again, where producers are providing these tickets and they're reimbursed a certain amount uh, from a sponsorship from TD Bank, but. We are able to offer them uh, at no cost to social service agencies. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a list of about, I think we're at 103 subscribing social service agencies throughout the city that uh, we send out a listing of here are all the tickets that are available in a given day, given month, whatever. Uh, they talk to their clients and then book tickets based on what's mm-hmm. available, and they don't have to pay at all. That's great. You know, it's two marginalized communities. We look at uh, newcomer groups, refugee uh, groups. Uh, women's shelters. There's quite a wide range of uh, organizations that are subscribed, but uh, it's that program is really exciting just because it's people that wouldn't have access regardless. Um, And uh, Hiptics and City Special are are two 
parallel programs that we're really proud of. They're both 10 years old as of this mm. year, uh, and they've really taken off in the last couple of years. I remember when HipTech started, mm. and I mean, I was, I think, already out of the age range, but um, it was, uh, I mean, already at that point, we were, I think, in the theater starting to see a decline in, or an increase in the age of our, the theater goer and the yep. decline of the, of the uh, of the audience numbers for sure yeah yeah, well, yeah. <clears throat> aging population right yeah when you're going to when you're talking with with the students about um you know about the theater what they want to see on the stage what kind of things are you finding out from them about what uh they want to see in the theater as opposed to what they think the theater is? sure uh I mean, a lot of what they want to see, they want to see comedy, they want to see um, action. They want to see some of the kinds of things that they might be able to get in, in film that they're not necessarily seeing on stages. And because, I mean, the, the crux of it often I find is that uh, because Toronto is such a diverse city and, and such a multicultural hub, the plays that are happening on stages don't necessarily always reflect that yeah. reality. And so, you know, if you're in one of the outlying regions and you're not seeing the stories of, of your culture mm-hmm. being represented on stages, then why should I bother going? Yeah. A lot of companies are doing better at bringing in that, that kind of work. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's always an uphill a battle. Uh, but they, they want to see their stories. They want yeah. to see what's relevant to them. They want to see, you know, uh, issues that millennials are facing. They want to see their whatever the cultural background they, they have are represented yeah. on stage well. Um, they want to see things that are accessible, not just museum pieces. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of kids think... I mean, a lot of times in high school, your first exposure to theater is Shakespeare. Sure, yeah. And you're ne- never really that enthusiastic about the Shakespeare that you're seeing. And if that's what you think theater is, then that doesn't really speak to you. Yeah, it's old dead white guys. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And that's, I mean, and, and, you know, in Toronto Theatre, we do have a bit of a history of, uh, of uh, really doing, uh, doing a lot of the old dead white guys on our stages. And, uh, in fact, I know, you know, there's a lot of theatre companies that, that get formed to perform those old dead white guys. And, uh, sure, and there's a certain value in that. There is a value. Absolutely. I just think that we, we do see an extraordinarily uh, large, no, large amount of that particular theatre times right right yeah um in terms of uh the dora awards Mm -hmm. um so the nominations aren't out yet no no the nominations come out the month before the ceremony generally yeah so uh the nominations are always announced uh, usually one of the last days of may one of the first days of june depending on how the calendar falls this year they're going to be announced um tuesday may the uh 30th or 31st, whichever. I'm not looking at a calendar right now. Nope. Uh, but that Tuesday, uh, starting at 10 a.m. at the Sony Center, um, it's, uh, it's, always, it's always fun and exciting when they're announced. And uh, there will be a couple of uh, ancillary awards also presented mm-hmm. during that time. Uh, and then the awards themselves happen a month later. So June 26th, Monday, June 26th, mm-hmm. we're going to be at the Elgin Theater for the 38th Annual Door Maven Moore Awards. Oh, no, not, not the outdoor... Uh, no, no, it was for the past three years it's yeah. been at uh, Harborfront Center. Um, but that's, that's sort of the tenure that we have at um, mm. different locations. We try to move every couple of years uh, just nice. to get a nice representation of the, the city. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, yeah, moving back indoors. Nice, nice. 
Um, how involved are you with the ceremony itself? Or are you just like the logistics of, of like the nominations and the awards themselves and you stay out of the way of the ceremony? Yeah, primarily I'm looking at the logistics. Uh, I also do a lot of logistics of the ticketing and uh, some of the VIP presenters uh, for the day of. Uh, for the actual uh, creative show we, we bring on a creative team so mm-hmm. there's a you know a director usually a musical director um and then the host and a writer and uh we bring them all on um and they've been working already for about a month or so mm-hmm. so uh this year it's going to be hosted by raul benesia and uh he's going to be bringing his his band the big time nice. on stage uh directed by ed roy and written by diane flax nice so it'll be uh, it's a great team, um, and they've they've uh, Ed Roy's been directing it for a couple of years now. I think it's his third or fourth uh, time around. So, so as the Dart Awards, um, if you there's a jury yep. that goes to, I guess they try to go to as many shows as they can. <laughs> yeah. to see, I mean, there's a lot of shows that that are up for. Uh, uh, can be considered for Doro Award. Yes. And so, is there, first off, how does one become a member of that jury? A couple different ways. So, uh, every year there's a, a selection process. There's uh, a committee that is struck, uh, the Doro Jury Selection Committee, and um, comprised usually of a couple TAPA board members and uh, a few individuals uh, from the community, uh, with at least one representative per division. Mm-hmm. And uh, the working group is tasked with bringing a certain number of names to the table, um, just that they come up with. Uh, we also accept nominations from the community. So if you wanted to be a door juror, you would have to get two TAPA member companies to co-nominate you um, mm-hmm. online via form. And uh, there are a couple other ways that uh, names can come to the table, but those are the, the main ones. Mm-hmm. It's about a three-month process, actually, to mm-hmm. cast the juries, where they start with a whole big pot of names... And then they work very hard to actually strike a balance of uh, a number of different factors, you know, age, discipline, background, uh, you know, a whole bunch of different things like that. Um, It's not always as balanced as it could be, but we do the best that we can Mm -hmm. uh, to do that. Mostly it's in terms of availability of of people, you know, people that we'd really like to be on the jury to make it even that much more balanced just aren't in town. So they, they can't commit. And uh, once they're cast, uh, and we have just shy of 60 jurors starting right around now, and we cast each division with approximately 12 jurors. So it's, it's broken up into five divisions. We've got the general theater, independent theater, musical theater, opera, slash touring, and theater for young audiences, and dance. Each of those juries has 12 members, approximately. And uh, they go out to see just over 200 productions in a year not all of them are seeing the same shows each jury each uh, division sees different shows but um, and it varies widely in terms of the number of shows that they're going to see so in terms of like is the is there an expectation laid out for each juror that they should see like do do they have a minimum number of shows there is yeah so they're they're expected to see all of the shows registered but because the people that are on the jury are you know working professionals and they've got day jobs and things like that it's understood that they're not going to be able to get to see everything Mm -hmm. Um, so while we expect 100% uh, there's a minimum threshold that's that's met so 85% of the total number of shows that are registered through the year uh, if you drop below that 85% you might not be able to vote at the end of the year Mm -hmm. yeah 
And uh, and then I guess at some point they all have to sit down in a room and, and hash it out. The funny thing is, a lot of people coming in as a juror think that we do the voting in the room and we don't. Oh, okay. Uh, all the voting is done over email mm-hmm. with Excel spreadsheets as the ballots. Uh, the meetings that we have through the year are to discuss the shows, but not necessarily campaign for certain people to be nominated and okay. things like that. We we meet at least uh, two or three times a year with every jury, and um, the bulk of those meetings is taken up with discussing the shows uh, mm-hmm. in as much detail as time allows, mm-hmm. um, trying to get into as, as much of the artistic details and, and elements of the different categories as possible. Uh, I mean, the purpose of which is to be able to talk about the shows because jurors are under a confidentiality agreement, but also to gain a different perspective. Some, because everyone's coming with a different lens, someone's a designer, someone's an actor, someone across the table could bring up a point that I'd never considered about a lighting element or something like that. So it really helps to flush out uh, how each individual juror feels about a show. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure that in the end... Uh, helps make the voting. Well, in theory, everybody has a better understanding of, of what's working in the show. That's the idea. Yeah, that's the idea. And it also helps alleviate major surprises when mm-hmm. the nominees are announced. Yeah. At so, least within the jury, anyway. Do, do you ever find a situation where the conversation is happening and somebody realizes that they missed a show that they really should have seen? Uh, I mean, if someone's missed a show and the discussion goes on, they obviously. I've never really encountered a, a time where that specifically has happened. It'll be like, oh, darn. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. Unfortunate. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what What was the... So, I mean, in terms of, like, thinking about the Doras, I've heard people refer to them as, you know, Toronto's Tony Awards, or I've heard the Tonys referred to as New York's Dora Awards, you know, <laughs> occasionally. But um, what was... The reason for starting, like, what's the history of the Doras? Why were they started? And uh, yeah. yeah, it's funny because um, I love when we're we're referred to as the the Tony Awards for Toronto. I, I suppose it's it helps as a frame of reference mm-hmm. for people. It's just the scale is so different. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. You know, the Tony Awards are, are televised, yeah. and there's there's a huge commercial theater uh, market in New York, which we just simply don't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're more on comparison on the same level as, say, uh, Boston or um, uh, another city of that size. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, you know, they were, they were organized mm-hmm. in, uh, in 1978 um, as, as a way to, to recognize outstanding achievements mm-hmm. in Toronto theater and, and recognizing that uh, awarding each other and recognizing the work that is happening is important because it so often goes unrecognized. Mm-hmm. You know, if something that is a box office hit isn't necessarily an artistic masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, true, yeah. yeah. If, if all the public is getting is, is what, uh, you know, the box office numbers or, or reviews and not necessarily seeing what their peers are thinking about mm-hmm. uh, within the industry, then it's a bit too skewed to the commercial end of things. Right. Um, but yeah, there was, a, there was a committee that was struck in, in 1978 headed by uh, Millie Drain. And uh, they got together with, um, let me see the, the names here. I have to actually read them because I, I don't know them offhand. Uh, Anne Entku, Ronald Bryden, Bill Glasgow, Graham Harley, Leon Major, Sean Mulcahy, Peter Peroff, 
Heiner Piller, Susan Rubes, uh, Pete, uh, sorry, Pat Stewart, and Sylvia Tucker. That was the original mm. group of founders. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's it's been chugging along ever since. It's interesting because uh, Heiner Piller was the artistic director of my theater school. Well, there you go. There. So well, interesting. I, he didn't exactly tell us about that particular part of his right. his history um, from his office. <laughs> That's fine. Um, now, at this time of year, mm. when you're you know just about to do that crossover of juries, yep. and uh, I imagine that the voting will be starting very shortly. Sunday this coming weekend, yeah. the 14th and of May. Then decisions have to be made, and, yep. and uh, then the, the, the nominations are announced, and then in a month after that, there's an award ceremony. Um, as your focus shifts over to that um, uh, from the outreach... Um, is your day consumed with all of the, with a lot of emails and planning? Or oh yes, it, yeah? <laughs> yeah, by far, yeah. It pretty much eclipses any of the other outreach work that I can be working on at, at any time. Uh, and and yes, the the intensity picks up basically this week, uh, where we've got the juries that are finishing up having their final meetings uh, this week and last week. The incoming juries having their orientation meetings a week and a half ago, and still a few of them happening right now. Uh, so it's it's intense in terms of the amount of time that I spend in meetings. <laughs> so as a result, the backlog of emails does end up happening. Uh, so I do forewarn anyone that I tend to, to work with around now. It's like, okay, uh, it might be a little bit before I came back to you. But, uh, and it, it just picks up steam from here on in. Uh, May is probably the most intense. I, ironically, June is a little bit easier just because the voting's already been, already been done. It's yeah. it's mostly prepping the, the show itself mm-hmm. and uh, monitoring how the the ticketing situation is going. Yeah, is that, does that get difficult to manage? Just because the t- there's a finite number Depends. of seats, and True. each company wants as many people as possible from their company to be able to go and. It's not too bad to... It depends on how it's managed. Uh, we had a really great relationship with the, the box office at uh, Harborfront Center for the past three years. And, uh, you know, we're, we're developing a very good relationship with the Elgin for, for this year. Um, so it, it's finding a method of uh, working around our needs as well as the venue's needs and finding the common ground in between. Because I mean, the bulk of the tickets... Our comps. Yes, that's, you know? that's true. That's true. <laughs> the vast majority, whether it's nominees or sponsors uh, or other various and sundry uh, VIPs that are invited, uh, the jurors themselves are invited for, right. for comps. So being able to manage the, the flow of that information and who's getting access to those tickets can be critical. Uh, and because we're going into a new box office, uh, you know, finding out, okay, you work it a little bit differently over here, so we're going to adjust. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being able to, you know, uh, manage the pricing for for the nominee guests' tickets and then for the community at large. Right. Unfortunately, it, it does mean that those tickets end up being a little bit expensive, yeah. uh, you know, towards $100 all in. Um but that's the reality of the situation is that because we're, we have so many comps that of are going course, out there yeah. in order to put on the show, uh, we don't have a choice but to, to charge a bit of money like that. Um, thankfully, though, we a couple of years ago, it, it, there was a situation that came up where we 
a financial situation where we had to charge nominees a nominal ticket price. Uh, it didn't go over well in the community. <laughs> we'll fully admit that. And uh, we recognized that uh, you know it was it was poorly received. So the following year, we said, okay, well, uh, we're going to be able to offer nominee comps again. It's just everything else is going to have to go up a little in order to compensate. Right. You know, it's it's right. the reality of the the business, quite frankly. Yeah. And um, I. W- Personally, I was quite happy that we, we went back to the nominee comps mm-hmm. just because, you know, it's, it's, it's important to be able to, to get them to come to be there if they win the award yeah. and if they have to pay. Uh, that's a little I mean, hard. I know that other awards do charge nominees. Yeah. I mean, that, that is one of the, the things about, about the Doors is that, is that um, you don't have to buy your trophy yeah. should you win. And... Since we don't make a lot of money, it is important that um, if you're nominated, if you're lucky enough to be nominated, that you can easily attend without having to yeah, change yeah. in your pocket. Yeah. So, I actually think it's like I, it was a few years ago that I realized that every award ceremony that you see on TV, then the person who wins has to purchase that statue. That I was very glad to learn that uh, for the Doro Awards, you didn't have to do that. It's true. I, unless you want an extra one. Yes. Because yes, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it happens that, you know, two people share an award because they're mm-hmm. co-nominated, yes. uh, not from different productions, but yeah. two lighting designers on the same project, oh, for course. example. And uh, that does happen where, mm-hmm. where artists will purchase an additional one if they want to. Well, that makes a lot of sense if you're sharing it with somebody that you yeah. should have. It's hard to do the timeshare. <laughs> I get it for six months, you get yeah. it for six months. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, is there a part of the Dora Awards that... that uh, is your favorite part? I, you know, I think it's the sense of community that bringing all of these people to. It's not the whole community that can come on that night. Obviously, the the people who are attending are typically the producers and the nominees in that given year. So the nominees tend to be different on a regular basis. But the fact that a large portion of the community is coming together on one night a year to celebrate the work that's being done—that mm-hmm. part I love. Uh, the fact that it is celebratory. Yeah. Um, there's another event that's attached to the Doras, uh, the Nominees Toast, which mm-hmm. happens about a week or two prior to the actual award ceremony, where it's just the nominees and the jurors and then the top of board of directors, and, and they get together and we toast the nominees. Mm-hmm. And again, it's that same idea of, of just celebrating the work that has happened in the past year, mm-hmm. that we're not just toiling away in obscurity. Yeah. And... Um, seeing each other face to face because so often it's always emails if we're not working directly with someone on a day to day basis I mean there there are few enough opportunities for the community to come together that's true sometimes when we we refer to the theater community I sort of think to myself how is like what's the community because we don't (laughs) get to get together but it's good that there are there are events like this that that do allow us to come together Um, another another event that I was really happy to to see and, and to have you know, people come together with the Indie Acts the mm. um, to be able to bring uh, a lot of indie artists together to learn from each other and to learn uh, from panels and to get resources about, about how to independently produce, which is something that has become a very important part of being in the theater. Absolutely. And it, I mean, especially for indie producers, I mean, I'm an indie producer myself. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the times you feel like you're, you're working in isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unless you are lucky to, to 
be able to connect with people on a regular basis in person. But um, yeah, the IndieX conference uh, is the second year of, of putting it up uh, since it was reinvigorated from its former self. Um, for for years and years, it was it was a yearly event uh, for a couple decades actually, um, and it was a full. It used to be a full weekend of, of workshops and panels and things like that, and uh, it eventually actually morphed into the Tampa Trade Series, which is an ongoing professional development workshop series where we offer about you know between forty and fifty workshops a year on a whole bunch of different uh, aspects, anything from you know. SEO optimization or to uh, first aid training to uh, writing grants, a whole bunch of things like that. Uh, but it, it was felt that last year when we brought it back as an actual event uh, that it was time, uh, mm-hmm. that there is, there is a very strong indie community out there right now doing a lot of great work. And uh, it seemed that there was this, this hunger to to get together again and to, to yeah. talk about the issues that are on hand. I agree with that because I think that, that as, you know, as an indie producer myself, you often feel like you are working away alone, yeah. doing your best to make it, make a go of it. And it's so important to, to get together and realize that, Oh wait, we're all, yeah. we're all doing this. Um, in terms of the relationship between Tapa and indie artists, um, do you find that it's a that it's a hard sell for a lot of indie companies to join Tapa? It depends. I mean, it depends on why companies would want to join Tapa. Mm-hmm. I, we always think of uh, the when. Okay, let me rephrase. Sure. What I feel that Tapa is most publicly represented as is the Dora Awards. Mm-hmm. People know the Doras, and uh, it tends to be the the carrot. Right. Yeah. Um, but because of the other programs that we have on offer, I think that the value of, of a Tapper membership is is much greater than just the doors themselves. You know, uh, yes, there is a membership fee to be paid, and I understand that for for a company uh, who's on a very very limited budget, it, it can be a big decision to make whether mm-hmm. to do it or not. And you know, this year I want to be door eligible. Next year I don't think we're going to be able to afford it. Um, but if you're if you're taking the whole package into consideration, you know, gaining access to steeply discounted uh, tickets for um, some of the trade series uh, events, or something like the uh, the industry listings, or some uh, ticket offers that go out there for for TAP members only, um, access to the travel retreat and initiatives program, which you can apply for funding to essentially. Uh, bring in artists from outside or go yourself somewhere to do research. We can help pay for the flight component mm-hmm. of going there or to have a retreat. If you want to have like an artist's uh, getaway uh, for your company, you can, you can use that application and, and do that. And mm-hmm. it's, it's partially subsidized. Um, so it depends on what you're using it for. It's, right. it's, there are a lot of other programs that we offer, and, and gaining access to the Hiptics and, and City Special program, being able to get that extra outreach arm um, to be able to promote your show in, in locations that you would not have the resources to get to. Uh, discount media rates come along with TAP memberships as well, and uh, being able to be listed on the TO Night website or app, actually, the TO Night app is, uh, is a going concern. Um, so it's uh, the Doras are, are there, and they're great. We love them. 
but it's not the only thing that tap is about. Do you think that, that, that tapa sort of gets a little bit of short shrift that people think that tapa equals the Doras and, and especially with some younger, more indie companies that they don't really see all the other benefits that, that are there? I suppose it depends. I mean, it would take... I mean, you'd have to look at our website and see, okay, oh, there's all these other programs. But if you... If you don't know that we do them anyways, why would you look there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So we do our best to try to, to get the word out that we have all these other programs um, and to to dispel the notion that we're just the Doras. Yeah. Um, I think we're successful to a degree mm-hmm. in that. Uh, it can be difficult to to communicate with people that we don't know are out there yet. You know, mm-hmm. if they have a brand new company, they're just out of theater school or something yeah. like that. Um, and they know about the doors, but they don't know about right. these other things. So it, it's an ongoing challenge, yeah. uh, one that we don't have a silver bullet for, but um, it's it's just something that we're constantly working on. And hoping Do you think to. that events like IndieX sort mm-hmm. of like help to get that word out that there's more so. to the to tapa than just the doors? I really hope so, and I I think that kind of an event and the amount of promotion that goes into it uh, and the resulting discussions and social media chatter about it. Mm-hmm. I hope that it helps. Yeah. You know, because that word of mouth about something like that, that it gets people excited about ideas. Yeah. I would hope would translate into that, that greater understanding of what it is that we're doing mm-hmm. and trying to do. Um, and then there's, you know, the advocacy component too, where right. I think mm, perhaps a lot of the, Okay, I don't want to generalize, but there may be a perception that uh, they don't realize that uh, TAPA does a, a lot of advocacy on the municipal level mm-hmm. to, to increase arts funding and to uh, get that per capita dollar amount uh, mm-hmm. to at least match some of the other major cities yeah. in, in this country because we're on the bottom end of things, which is absurd. That is kind of absurd being like one of the, the, the more major markets yeah. for theater in Canada. Yeah, and it's it's to the benefit of, of our entire community for uh, indie artists and any artists yeah. to get involved in that kind of a process. Absolutely, and I mean indie artists have a have a lot of skin in the game in terms yeah. of uh, theater spaces, spaces studios, absolutely. You know, um, storefront, lost its space, yeah. and unit one hundred two, and like there's so like there's sort of there's been an attrition as far as mm-hmm. indie spaces go, and. It's hard to see that stuff happen when there's like a thriving like community of artists that can pass through a space. Yeah, it's like how do you how do you get how do you boost an indie company to the point of sustainability when you're working from project grant to project grant? Yes, and yeah. uh, and the project grants aren't a guaranteed thing; they're never a sure thing, and they're yeah. they're becoming fewer and fewer because <laughs> yeah. yeah. the competition gets higher and the dollars that are available is lower. So. Yeah, it's 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 a challenge, yeah. uh, but uh, we do know that city council has reiterated their commitment to the twenty five dollars per capita. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not there yet. I mean, in comparison to Montreal, who I believe just announced that they're at seventy eight dollars per capita uh, for art spending. It's uh, it's like our executive director has likened it to uh, pushing water uphill sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's slowly but surely getting better. It's just a matter of, um, of pushing it just that much further. It's hard when we further. spend, you know, I mean, we'll change, you know, you change mayors, different mayors come in and they have mm-hmm. different different priorities. And um, they go from, you know, some of them more arts friendly to some that, that aren't. Sure. Or vice versa. And, 
you know, we, you know, Toronto likes to imagine itself to be the Broadway of, of Canada, but we just aren't <laughs> yet. We, I think we could be, but we have to put more into the industry to, to become that. Sure. Yeah, the investment absolutely has to be there. If, if Toronto wants to be a, a world-class cultural leader, mm-hmm. then that capital has to be there. The investment and the interest has to be there um, on a government level, on a philanthropic level, uh, and on an individual basis. And it's it's it can be a real tough sell mm-hmm. when there are so many other priorities competing for space. Of course, it's like how do you? I don't envy people who are in government trying to make those, pro- yeah, those, no. those choices. Because it seems, if you're focused on one thing, it seems easy. Well, of course you're going to support this thing. Yep. When you have everybody saying that, how do you make yeah. your choices? I know. I know it's hard to compare when you have like a social housing crisis in the same yeah. way and crumbling infrastructure. It's uh, It can be hard to make the case for the arts. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. I, if you look at any of the great civilizations in the past, mm-hmm. a lot of them... When we look at them in history class, we judge them by their art. So, is that any 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 civilization that's been worth anything has had great culture? Yeah, and uh, it's it's to our detriment if we if we devalue it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, is there? I mean, as as you're we're we're sort of wrapping up, and you're sort of heading into you know you're going to be focusing more and more. It's going to be more emails in your inbox and more meetings sure. for the next few weeks. Um, just as in your person as as outreach, maybe as the the last little bit of outreach that you can do before the doors take over your life. What is one thing that you want people to know uh, about uh, theater in Toronto or uh, about Tapa in general that they might not know already? Sure. Well, I would think that uh, for Tapa specifically, I would want people to know that uh, we are. Um, open and transparent as we can possibly be and we're always willing to listen Um, we're going through a big uh, it may not be um, out there too much in the wilderness yet but um, we're going to be getting the word out more and more this year that we're going through a door review process where six years ago we we did a door review that changed a lot of the processes and categories and definitions we're doing the same again this year won't be as much of a major change as six years ago I anticipate but to know that uh we value feedback. We value critical feedback hugely. We need to hear it from people. It's one thing to to say something on social media like, oh, I wish the doors would do this and this and that. Mm-hmm. It's quite another to pick up the phone and call one of us and say, hey, why don't you consider this and try to make this kind of a change and update? Because that, to us, is much more valuable because uh, you're communicating with us. Right. And we know what you want to think then. If it's just on social media, we might miss that because we happen to not be connected to you or something right. like that. So yeah. the critical feedback is is very important, and we, we strongly, strongly want that kind of uh, ongoing communication. And I guess about Toronto theatre in general is, um, I don't know if it's something that people don't necessarily know, but I I always like to... I always like to push boundaries, and I like to be uncomfortable with theater. Uh, I suppose I would challenge people to push their comfort level about what theater, dance, opera, any of those performing arts uh, disciplines can be. Uh, because it's it's too easy to sit back and do the same old thing. Yes, yeah. uh, so that, that would be my personal 
thing about the Toronto theater industry. And I think there are a lot of groups that are doing that very well. Um, so kudos to them, and it, but it should be more. Awesome. <laughs> so I think that's my wrap up for that. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate it. Thank you.